0: Hello, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Now, today we've got an additional guest, um, a friend of the podcast, Brad Brownell. Brad, can you say hi to the people, too? I I definitely can. Hello, people. Uh, Brad is a dynamo in the automotive uh, media landscape. He's Involved with all sorts of really cool projects and uh, some that we're very excited to talk to you about. For example, Brad, Brad, you're all about this Radwood. This is what I think uh, has really put you on the map for me. I love Radwood and there's some new developments going on with that
1: whole brand too, right? Oh, sorry. That's not me. I, I'm not, I have nothing to do with Radwood now. Oh my
2: God. I believe, I believe the old school term for what Brad is would have been impresario. Uh,
1: oh, back back in the day when okay. people
2: were, were combination entrepreneurs and show people who were willing to take risks and do new things in a particular industry. And I, I, I think that term
1: fits you very well. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, yeah. Radwood. Um, I'm one of the co-founders of the show. There's four of us Um and uh we've been running since 2017 uh mid 2017 was our first show we've done mm, maybe 20 shows since then and um uh, it's been a year since we did our last one and i'm i'm uh having withdrawals so
2: <laughs> i think it's been pretty much a year since anyone did anything
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that is i I get that I understand, but uh yeah it's it sucks we haven't been able to do a show and we haven't had we haven't been able to go go out and see our fans and go see all the cars and uh get together and and have a good time so hopefully soon fingers crossed, we can do that
2: so now I really yeah, go, no, go, go ahead, Sammy. I was just going to say, I was going to say, that what makes Redwood so cool is that it's a, it's a show that's focused on cars that, for a very long time, and not just a show, but a community that's focused on cars that were, for a very long time, left on the outside of the enthusiast and collector mainstream. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it didn't mean people weren't interested in these cars. It just meant that there wasn't a lot for people to do with these cars or to find each other. And those are, these are vehicles specifically from the 80s and the 90s in terms of design aesthetic. And yeah. And, uh, I, uh, for for um, the future of Radwood, I know there's been an exciting new development. At least exciting for me because. I'm the kind of person who's constantly trolling Craigslist and eBay Motors and whatnot, <laughs> looking looking at vehicles that I probably shouldn't buy. Oh, my and, God. Sure, yep. And now I... The I, chat between me
0: and Ben on Facebook, he sends me all of these ridiculous cards on Facebook Messenger <laughs> uh, from the Facebook Marketplace, which I don't know if you ever used the Facebook Marketplace to do anything. It's full of crazy
2: people It's it's, it's my of primary course. love language. There's no doubt about that, <laughs> is is online automotive classifieds. But I, I understand I, I'm now going to have another way to send my emotions out into metal, and that's, that's with something called Rad for Sale.
1: Yes. Yeah, we, uh, we've, we've been working on it for months, and it finally is uh, live and for the people, radforsale.com. It is an online auction platform for, uh, specifically for cars from the 80s and 90s. Um, anything that would be welcome at a Radwood show is welcome on Rad for Sale, um, so if you have, even if it's a project car, it needs a little bit of love. We're definitely down to host that, uh, sale and all the way on up to, you know, right now we've got a actually Canadian race car, okay. um, and a, uh, Porsche, uh, 944 turbo cup car from, uh, 1987, I believe. What are the Rothman's cars? Uh, no, it's actually the Reebok liver liveried car. Oh, wow. Um, so it's bright yellow and it's got a really cool livery on it so go check that out um, so yeah everything from you know uh a few thousand dollar we um, oddball uh, you know commuter cars of the of the era on up to you know uh, six figure race cars uh, is everything we <laughs> It, that's what it, a Radlet yeah. is all about, is uh, yep. bringing that community together. And and I appreciate the way that you said that was, um, you know, we didn't invent the enthusiasm for these cars. People have been, uh, co- you know, holding on to their DeLoreans and Fieros and, and everything all this time, and they've been enthusiasts in their own right, and I don't want to diminish that for anybody. But we just made it okay for everybody to come together in one place and have a good time. I,
2: I think making so. it making it okay is a really great way to to put it because <laughs> no, I I, I, but I was I've been involved in the collector car hobby for a very long time. When I was a kid I, and my, and still to this day, my father collects old cars, mostly Studebakers. But uh, when I was a kid, I was always at car shows. And uh, when I became a teenager, I really started to notice what, what's been termed the graying of the hobby, which is where <laughs> the crowd the crowd got older and older and mm-hmm. the cars got older and older. And all of a sudden there was this huge gap between yeah. n- younger generations and collector cars. And then the whole Barrett-Jackson phenomenon came along and that <clears> just <throat> exacerbated financially this gap. So suddenly not mm-hmm. only were, was it tough for... Uh, young people to get into the hobby in terms of having an entry point, but financially it was almost impossible to buy certain types of collector cars because let's face it, boomers had jacked up the prices. And, yeah. and I think when Radwood came along, it was, it was exactly the right time to kind of pick up the spirit of people who had been interested in cars that boomers had ignored and that the auction houses had ignored and that were therefore affordable, but not more than just being affordable. They were affordable to drive. They were affordable to own. Maintenance wasn't crazy. They were modern enough. You could drive them in modern traffic and not feel like you were going to die. And yeah. it was this whole subculture that really needed that Radwood community to kind of well up to the surface and kind of become what it has today.
1: Yeah, it, that's definitely true. There's there we think of the Radwood era because it's what we grew up with, it's what we could afford. We mm-hmm. think of it as the kind of perfect culmination of, of two different things is it was still analog enough to be fun, but and but uh but fast enough and, and modern enough that it could be reliable so we could work on it ourselves. You know, you you can kind of figure out fuel injection and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, The stuff that's out there today might be a little harder these days. Um, And the stuff that came before it was you're fiddling with a carburetor every six weeks. (laughs) Uh, You know, so, so there's, it's kind of that, that perfect crest of, you know, old enough and fun enough and driver friendly enough with, modern enough to to be a reliable daily driver so yeah
0: but there's also something to that era in terms of in terms of design and and aesthetic that I think really adds up really nicely for me especially mm-hmm. you know that's when we get a lot of these like really wedge-like sharp sharp shark-like uh cars really like pointy edges before all the you know pedestrian safety regulations came in <laughs> <laughs> and these cars look wicked, and not, not yeah. only that, but we also have a ton of these beautiful pop-up headlights and stuff like that. So we've got a, a whole different era of cars that I think is really worth um, appreciating. Uh, I'm, I'm not in the same way that Ben described, like those older um, those older cohorts or demographics, but it's really neat to see just how how much enthusiasm there is on a whole uh, on a whole group of cars like this. I, I love. it. I grew up in the '90s, and this like this adds up to me. I love it.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things about it is the variety of cars that were available then. Right. You know, look at the market today, and you know, there's maybe three or four sports cars under thirty thousand dollars, <laughs> and there's what ten convertibles in the whole market. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, you go back to nineteen ninety, and there were literally dozens um of options to choose from it was was an era where you could make a car
2: and not have a business case for that car (laughs) exactly and the company was like like
0: like a solara
1: convertible or something (laughs) like i mean yeah i mean look at what's what's the business case for a fiero why does pontiac (laughs) need to have a mid-engine two-seat sports car you know they they didn't it didn't make sense with the rest i mean look at a um buick riata yeah, it's so, a. Why does that car make sense? But it did, and it sold well enough that they made their money back on it. And like nowadays, if you don't, just the the uh, the amount of money that goes into developing a new platform these days, because they're so complicated, you can't really do that. It has to sell to you know four million people. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's
2: it's all you know. And today, volume is really viewed as the only way to recoup any kind of cost. Like the idea of a a boutique vehicle almost doesn't exist. A a vehicle like the Miata is still a very very slow seller in terms of numbers, but it's important enough for Mazda to keep it there as a halo car. And then you have cars like the Kia Stinger, which is kind of their version of the slow selling halo car. You know, but Mm -hmm. when when you start to look past that. There's not much else out there that's uh, that, aside from BMW, which kind of overwhelms with the number of niches that it's in to kind of generate a <laughs> false volume. It, it's yeah. it's sad, it, and it's interesting that you contrast it with with you know 1990 as like a crux ear a crux year. There's just so many cars on either side of that dividing line that. I mean, we just accepted it as normal that these vehicles will be reproduced. Like, at that time, Cadillac was like, yeah, we're going to fly... We're going to create a fleet of 747s that fly Italian-formed bodies across the Atlantic to Detroit for final assembly and then we'll somehow sell these cars and everyone wants this, you know? It was like there was almost no market research whatsoever. They didn't understand the market, but they were totally cool with spending hundreds of millions of
1: dollars. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and and to, to what end? Like, I mean... Admittedly, that car, the the Elante, was a style icon, but they didn't sell very many of them, no. and you know it couldn't have been something that they made their money back on. But you know, would something like that make sense for a Cadillac today? Probably not.
2: No, definitely not.
1: I mean, and that you know, it, back then too, like right around the
2: '90s, Chrysler owned Lamborghini, and yeah. uh, I remember there reading about how Chrysler had plans to make a Lamborghini branded minivan. Like that was on the table. They were going yeah. to do that. They were like, what right. what's brand equity? We don't we don't care yeah. about that. <laughs> and I love it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's nuts. It's insane. But you know, that, uh, that would this, be even
1: worse than an Urus.
2: Yes. Yes. Or uh, well today it would be cooler, but then it would have been worse. You know, like, right, yeah. through the lens of time.
1: But uh <laughs> we
2: were talking when I was talking earlier about um the the idea of the graying of the hobby and boomers and whatnot and it, that word's often thrown around like an insult these days but uh i i don't really feel that way because you know my my father is from the tail end of that generation and when we were going to shows there was a lot of participation in that at that time mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s well, old car people were people who you know drove to shows drove to rallies had get-ups uh, sorry uh, had get-togethers and um just basically used their cars and i feel like when the auction phenomenon hit and car valuation started going through the roof, that really stopped happening for that generation. And one of the cool things about Radwood is that it's a very participatory community. And mm-hmm. um, w- we're starting to see with things like uh, uh, the Rad for Sale site is intriguing to me because we have Bring a Trailer, which has in some ways weaponized the Radwood generation uh, mm-hmm. by allowing those those vehicles do attract a certain... A higher level of attention on that site than they would elsewhere. There's also yeah. Cars and Bids, I think, uh, with the yep. Doug DeMuro's new site, which is kind mm-hmm. of, uh, it's it's not exactly the same demographic as Bring a Trailer, but they are dedicated to interesting cars that are overlooked. W- what I'm curious about Rad for Sale is, did you worry when you were creating this that you might accidentally weaponize the Radwood market <laughs> to the point where it became out of reach?
1: Um, um i don't I don't think that was ever on our mind okay. um you know the 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 idea for us was always to just have a place for people to appreciate the era and it kind of grew into something that that uh was beyond our control so <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know to to that point, there are some vehicles today that um perhaps because of their growing value are still on the road rather than having been turned into a, a parts car or something, mm-hmm. you know, there, mm-hmm. it makes sense to put another transmission in your 944 this year that it might not have made sense five years ago. You know, it, if it blows up and you've got to put four or five grand into it back then, it was a $3,000 car. Yeah. And you know, now it's a $10,000 car or maybe a little more. So it, it, there's there's pluses and minuses to all of this. I I hope that you know some of these uh, everyday kind of cars still keep going as um, something that an enthusiast can get into for not a lot of money. Um, and I hope that you know that love of the era continues without uh, blowing up values too much. Um, and, yeah, to bring a trailer is definitely the juggernaut in the space, and we know that. And we're not trying to take them down or anything. Um, there's, a, I think there's plenty of space for everybody in the market right now. Um, there's probably going to come a point where it's too much, but hopefully right now where we are with Rad for Sale, it's, it's a level that can be sustained. So... <laughs> Um, Well,
2: it's 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 the logical next step, in in my opinion, because uh, a big part of a community is being able to pass on vehicles that are no longer able to be driven or Mm -hmm. that need a new home because you either you have too many of them or, Mm -hmm. you know, you have a parts vehicle that can help someone else out. And to have a central repository for that kind of thing, you specifically mentioned project cars uh, when you were describing what's for, what's available at Rad for sale, and that's definitely mm-hmm. not something you would ever see on Bring a Trailer.
1: So sure, it, it right. Really, well, it's a that, and age. that's kind of where their their they pulled their name from was originally they were project cars and high end cars. Yeah, and then it really so, went away from that, and it, it definitely has gone away from project cars a bit. Um, so yeah, we we want to have. Rad for Sale be a place where you can come to find, you know, the next car that you're going to bring to Radwood. And whether that means something that somebody else ha- doesn't have time or money or skill to finish or something that's someone already had the time, money and skill and already finished it. Um, hopefully we'll have that, everything that runs that full gamut. Um, and And in addition to that, we'll also have, uh, some parts will have some accessories, you know, BMX bikes, clothing, uh, maybe a, a high-end boombox or a Nakamichi stereo or something like that. Um, we'll, we'll cross the block on Rad for Sale. So we hope that beyond just buying cars, it'll also be a place where you can come to appreciate the era, even if you already have the car that you want from the era.
2: Sammy, Sammy's always had kind of a creepy idea for a... Uh an online auction site. Sammy you want, can I can I tell people about it or is it still in I mean, development? I mean,
0: yeah, I can't stop you from doing anything here. So man. it's
2: Sammy's just, Sammy had the idea where it would just be estate sale cars so that and they would all come with a certificate of okay. death. Oh yeah. boy. to prove that the previous owner was not just no longer the owner but no longer on this earth.
1: Yeah, you can't contact this person. You yeah. cannot. You, there is.
2: You cannot find out the history of this. Well, vehicle. you could
1: have. You could have a séance, I suppose.
2: But. Yeah, actually, uh, that was the next part of it. Really,
1: yeah. is to make sure that we,
0: if you needed to, there would be someone, a professional who could get in touch with the uh, with the afterlife. Sure, uh, and yet make that happen. But it's the, definitely um,
1: a creepier way of looking at, like. Um, when big auction houses have like from the estate of yeah uh, <laughs> collections that go up for sale, yeah. so yeah, that's definitely uh... the reason. Um, the reason
2: he never went through with this because Sammy kept failing his medium certification. Yeah, he's just I too grounded. Yeah, I struggled, you know, really
0: letting go and connecting. But you know, somebody could really. Um, I was hoping that you could tell me a little bit about the the growth of of Radwood and how. It's developed in what you felt when the in the first event to the the late the last one I guess yeah. last year, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, pride is is what I felt all along. It, you know, seeing something that we've done uh, influence so many people and bring so many people together, and you know, just the amount of like friendships that exist because of Radwood um, relationships. Perhaps uh, people have started podcasts with people that they've met at Radwood, so you <laughs> know. There's some there's some influence out there. And, and uh, that's what I love to see is the community coming together. Um, the first show back in 2017, really, it started out as just kind of a fun thing for us to do with our friends. You know, we put it out on social media and we talked about it on our podcasts that uh, two of the three don't exist anymore. So um, and, and we kind of just invited our friends to come have a good time. And we expected, you know, 50 cars or something like that. And I think it was 120 that eventually showed up. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we rented a park and and we thought, oh, this will be plenty of space. And we started, you know, in the, in the morning when we started parking cars, we were parking them kind of far apart. And then by the time it got to like 10 o'clock, we're like, oh, man, we're out of room. So we need to shove cars in wherever they'll fit. <laughs> so it got a little bit tight in there that day. Um, and and that was when we kind of knew that we had something on our hands that was bigger than us uh, because it was definitely an experience to see that many people respond to the idea that we had had. So that first show was was definitely more of a success than we imagined it would be. We were approached a couple of months later and or a couple of weeks later even and someone said when's the next one (laughs) and we're like oh that's a good point how about december so um we just decided in like four or five months to slam together another show we did that one in los angeles and knew that it would be even bigger so we got a bigger venue and sold that place out so uh then we were like oh yeah this is a thing now so the the following year i think we did five shows Uh, 2019, we did 12, I think, and we had as many as 18 planned for 2020, and we only managed to do one of them. Um, But that one that we did in Austin, Texas, uh, almost exactly a year ago, was our biggest show yet. Um, You know, after three years of growth, we had continued growing every single show, and we had literally we had a racetrack, and it was full. All the way around this three and a half mile racetrack, on both sides of the track.
2: That's fantastic.
1: <laughs> so it amazing. was it was just thousands of cars, tens of thousands of people. It was amazing. It was like the biggest thing I'd ever seen. So um, you almost needed a bicycle just to get around the show. <laughs> <laughs>
0: to, to me, I love the idea that it's accessible and there's a lot of acceptance within the community. I think people yeah. love ev- like everything of e- like from that era, and I love that. Um, I love that a lot. When when do you think it's going to be starting up again?
1: Uh, we are hoping that, you know, assuming that vaccines roll out the way that they're stated they should, um, we are hoping to have a show in June. Um, back mm-hmm. in San Francisco, back where we f- first started. Uh, I, I don't know the venue. I don't know the date because everything's still up in the air. But uh, that's our plan right now, tentatively, is to get back to doing shows this summer. So, uh, now, I know a lot of I know a lot of people had mentioned that they were going to fly in for the first show, so get your tickets booked. <laughs> uh, that's
2: fantastic. It, it 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 brings me kind of the next thing I wanted to talk about with you, and that's uh you you are more than just Rad for sale and, and Radwood of course, uh, you are, have become uh, an alternative voice in the world of electronic uh, electronic electric vehicles. And uh, yeah. what, I, what I mean by that is that you are interested in them outside of the typical cult of buyers that has been overly <laughs> represented, uh, sure. perhaps in the media and, sure. and e- economically. And uh, I, if I understand things correctly, you have a show dedicated to electric vehicles that will be coming up later in 2021 as well.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah, it's a new show called Autopia 2099. Um I kind of had the idea for it when I was doing a motorcycle ride across the country. I had all that time to myself to think, which is usually dangerous. <laughs> so um, I, uh, I I had this idea and I was like, oh, this is brilliant. I need to, to get this uh, to happen this year. And I think like Radwood, it's the perfect time because it's a little bit early, but okay. not too early. You know what I mean? We're right on that that cresting wave, and uh, I think there will be critical mass after this. So. And, and, and who are you expecting to show up at Autopia? Like, what is the dream demographic? <laughs> um, well, I, I, I definitely have it based in Los Angeles, or we do. There's five of us on the team. Um, we have it based in Los Angeles because that's where like the EV hot-rodding community has grown up. Um, you know, you've got, I I literally want everybody who's ever been interested in electric propulsion. So everything from the, the people who are curious about EVs, uh, there will be OEMs there with their brand new products that you can get in and hopefully test drive and, and all of that, um, all the way to somebody who built their own, you know, if you've got a weekend project that you built, uh, like a Mercury Capri two seat convertible, into an EV with, like, a a fork truck motor Mm -hmm. uh, and some lead-acid batteries. Like, I want that there. All the way to, you know, uh, the Busy Motos and the EV Wests and, and, you know, the the people who have been building hot rods for the last few years with Tesla motors or, um, you know, Hyper 9 motors or whatever. If you've got... a 20-horsepower city car all the way up to a 1,000-horsepower all-wheel drive, you know, crazy thing that you built yourself, that's that's who I want to be there. So You're
0: not expecting anyone with, like, a 19, 1900s, like, Detroit Electric or anything, are you?
1: <laughs> I would. I, I have talked to some museums uh, about bringing some, some early electrics uh, out, and I really hope that they do. And if anybody's listening has a 1911 Detroit Electric, please bring it to the show.
2: Um, you if
1: you're listening yeah. to this in your Detroit Electric, <laughs> yeah, please right. let
2: us know because that's amazing. <laughs>
1: yeah, my one of my goals is to have eventually at one of the shows to have all all eras of electric propulsion represented, and I see that there's kind of four main eras. The first one would be the the early era, um, brass era, kind of where before gasoline, before the the Model T was really around um electric was kind of one of the choices you could make um so there were a bunch of them in that era as you mentioned detroit electric in the 1970s there was a resurgence because of the the oil crisis um people were like oh gas is really expensive i'm gonna build myself an electric car i love that i love that
2: response to stimulus it's like i'm not gonna build a more efficient gas car (laughs) i'm just gonna abandon gas altogether (laughs)
1: yeah yeah uh, so How there's much money can I spend
0: on, electri- on on developing this electric vehicle. Yes, right. the, so many of these like didn't like go out the door though, right? That's a, that's my that's what my
2: memory kind of serves. It means here. the seventies, the Sammy? Yes.
1: Yeah, there were a lot that were ideated and never actually came to fruition, but but I think there was a lot of homegrown stuff built in that era um, where. You know, like I said, people were taking uh, fork truck, electric fork truck motors and putting lead-acid batteries in their BMW 2002 or whatever. And it had a top speed of 45, and, you know, it only had a range of 20 miles or something <laughs> like that. But but there's definitely some of that stuff out there. Uh, BMW actually made an electric 2002 for the Olympics in 72? I don't really remember. Um but that's a, there's stuff like that out there. Uh, GM had a little city car that they never really built, did anything with. Ford had the Commuta, if you remember the Commuta car. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's some stuff from that era. It was kind of a, a little blip. Then you, know, you go all the way to the mid-'90s when uh, California had the EV mandates, mm-hmm. and there was uh, a bunch of cars that were built for compliance, like – the S10 EV, the Ranger EV, GM had the EV1, Toyota had the Rav4 EV. So there was some, they were starting to become more mainstream at that point, but they never really went anywhere because the the um, legislation didn't have any teeth, and they decided to defeat it. And then now you have the post Tesla era. You know everything for the last decade um, has been getting better and better and better. You know I have a 2011 Nissan Leaf that has a battery that's degraded down to like 48 miles of range, but it's still a great car and I'd love it to death. It was $2,000 and it runs as good as it did when it was brand new. So, um, yeah, I, so those are the four main areas and I would love to see all of those represented at, at an Autopia, whether it's home built or a factory built, you know, if you have a brand new Tesla model, Y, bring it? If you have, Something you built in the nineteen seventies, bring it. If you've got a, a bicycle, you know I am. One of the projects I am working on right now is I am building a um, an e bike with an old alternator. You can turn an alternator into a motor by feeding it power. Uh, you know you have to do more than that, but and then belt driving it to the rear wheel, and then I've got you know a thumb uh, throttle on the handlebars, so I can have a little electric assist on my bicycle. So if you've built one of those, bring it. I mean,
0: I, I love the enthu- I love the approachability too, right? It's not just production cars, but there are some projects and some ideas. You know, people yeah. have been dabbling, and there's always going to have that grassroots style um, e- engineering, right? Like that, there's people who who are creative and have managed to sort these sort of things out. As much as yeah. we figured out, you know, LS and LS engine swaps, people exactly. have figured out. I think it seems like uh, electric conversions are way easier than than. LS engine swap but yeah that's if, just from if the you know
1: if you know what you're doing that's that's for sure true I mean it's it's kind of on the same level you've definitely still got to do all of the welding to mount and everything and there's some a uh, little bit of routing and things that need to be done but it, it's not too bad if you can find a place for all the the batteries and a place for the motor to go um you can be up and running you know in a month or so if I, you uh, if you really hustle it
0: I also want to talk to you about this Leaf because I've seen so many of these off-lease <laughs> or uh, or used electric vehicles that are sold for honestly like a fraction of their mm-hmm. original price. Mm-hmm. Two thousand bucks for a Leaf seems like a pretty good deal. But obviously, you've you've experienced some battery degradation, and I, I'm curious to see what the ownership experience has been like. Is it difficult? Is it is it you know smooth? Like what's um... the situation?
1: it's been super smooth. Uh, so the, the leaf from 2011 to 2014 had a battery chemistry that didn't like heat. Okay. Um, so it degrades if you heat it up, which means if it's a hot day, uh, you really need to only drive it in eco mode because if you're driving it in regular mode, it'll, it'll heat it up too much. And similarly, if you're dry, if you're on a hot day and you put in, uh, you know, Chatmo DC fast charger, then that will degrade the battery as well. So, um, you, you try to avoid heat as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've really only owned it in the winter, so it hasn't been a problem for me yet, but I, it does get to, uh, I don't know what the centigrade is, but 105 or whatever. So, uh, uh, Fahrenheit here in Nevada. Um, so yeah, if, if the car has lived in, California or Arizona or Nevada, its whole life, it's probably going to have more degradation, um, and the reason for that is uh, Nissan, when it was bringing this car to market in 2011, it cost like, or something around ten thousand dollars per kilowatt hour to build a lithium battery at the time, um, and it's got a 24 kilowatt hour battery, so it's you know twenty four twenty five thousand dollars just in batteries. And they only sold the car for thirty-two or thirty-three thousand dollars, brand new. So they were losing crazy money on this thing. Um, so one of the ways that they cut costs was by not including a uh, battery heat management system. So it doesn't—it's not water cooled; it's just an air cooled mm-hmm. battery sitting under the car. And so then they had heat issues. Um, and that degraded the battery, and and then they ran into warranty issues. So maybe if they had spent the money on the front end, they wouldn't have had to spend it on the back end. But that's neither here nor there. So they, it's one um, of
2: the rare instances where buying a cold-weather climate-sourced car, actually, you come out ahead. Wow. Well, yeah,
1: I've never thought of that, Ben.
0: That's
2: insane. <laughs> well, we have to be um, good for something. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but in 2015, they improved the battery. They have what's called right. a lizard battery. And it was better with heat management. It still didn't have liquid cooling, but it was better with heat management. Um, So if you can get one from 2015 onward, they definitely don't degrade nearly as badly as the earlier ones. Um, 2011, 2012 was the worst. So 2013, 2014 was okay. 2015 is better. Uh, and then they've definitely got it fixed now. So if you're buying a new Leaf, don't worry about any of what I just said. So what do you, um, you plan
2: to do with 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 your Leaf? I know I know you have a bunch of uh, ele- electric projects aside from the bicycle. So <laughs> yes. um, it, does the Leaf figure into that, or is it just something it you, you couldn't turn down because the price was so so sweet?
1: Well, yes that that was why I bought it, it was it was you know you mentioned Facebook Marketplace. I was on Facebook Marketplace <laughs> and I saw this car for two thousand dollars. And it had been listed at $5,000, and they had lowered the price because apparently they got desperate. Um, And I said, I'll be there tomorrow morning. (laughs) Hmm. So, And I I sent them a deposit, and I showed up the first thing in the morning and test drove it, drove fine, took it home. Great car. Um, So I definitely bought it because it was convenient, because it was inexpensive. But I definitely am doing projects to it because I'm interested in what the modification scene is like for electric cars. Um, I probably won't be doing a lot to make it go a lot faster, but I definitely wanted to do some aesthetic upgrades to see what that would look like and, and how to do I've I've really never focused on that personally. I've always been a suspension and engine guy, and who cares what it looks like? So this is kind of a turn of events for me where I'm I'm allowed to focus on doing these short projects with with good quick turnaround that make a big difference visually. So um, I got some wheels and tires for it. I got some three spokes. They look awesome. Nice. <laughs> uh, I wrapped the car in like a neon yellow green color. Um, catch the <laughs> and uh i put some underglow on it cuz underglows coming back all and... right
2: that's some cyberpunk what well, <laughs> kind, of, yeah. kind of range impact does the underglow
1: uh, almost with it. almost none it's it's leds these days so it's very very easy i guess um, you know
2: if it was neon tubes you'd have to worry about drag aerodynamic yes, drag
1: yes of course yeah uh i do i actually did have to worry about that a little bit because in the back the um the LEDs are actually in the diffuser. Oh, really? I was like, oh, man, this is going to ruin my, my uh, aerodynamics. But uh, I haven't seen that big of a depreciation in, in my range since. So. Well, I think it's a worthwhile sacrifice. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, beauty is pain, Benjamin. <laughs> um,
2: Speaking of painful beauty, you have another uh, electric project that's even yes. wilder than, than a lower dropped three-spoke uh, leaf.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so real quick, I'm going to finish up the leaf. It's going to be uh, airbags, so I'm going to drop it on airbags. (laughs) And then eventually I'm going to upgrade the battery to a more modern one. So I'm going to take a 2015 plus leaf battery and put that in there. And then I'm going to take the old leaf battery, and that's going into the project you're about to talk to, uh, talk about. So the old battery is going to power a junkyard leaf motor that I bought a couple of years ago. Uh, in the front trunk of my Porsche Boxster. Uh, <laughs> pause for effect. <laughs> now, uh, first of all, I
0: love the idea of recycling. I think um, battery recycling is very important um, and something that isn't talked about very often. And I mm. do like the idea of finding a new application for um, a used battery. I think mm. that's a great idea. Tell me, yeah. um, is this possible though? Like I have no idea. I have, I have never even thought of the idea of turning a Uh, An ICE, an ICE car, like an internal combustion engine car and amplifying that with a with a battery from an electric car. Now, I've heard of other things like um, what are they called? Like electric turbochargers. Sure. Uh, And I can see that being like somewhat of like a hybrid project. But this Mm -hmm. is something completely different. This is a very involved modification. It seems. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, effectively what I'm doing, because it's a mid engine car, the the internal combustion engine is still going to be in the back. Mm-hmm. And it's still going to power the rear wheels. Basically, what I'm doing is making a dual motor. So I'm taking a Nissan Leaf motor, putting it in the front to power the front wheels. So it'll be an all-wheel drive hybrid, uh, what they call over-the-road hybrid. Mm-hmm. So it's not a, um, a direct hybrid like a uh, like a Prius would be. You know, okay. the the motor, the electric motor, and the engine don't actually interface at all. Yeah, um, okay. the only place they really connect is at the throttle pedal. So when I put my foot down, it sends an electric thing to the front and a cable thing to the back, and says go fast. <laughs> so. And then hopefully, if I did it right, they listen. Nice. So, hey, what, uh, are what you the? It, what if, we're, we're,
0: yeah, go for it, man. I was going to say, what are
2: the advantages of of, of this kind of design? And um, is it is
1: it pure performance when you're talking about an over the road hybrid? Um. Yes and no. I mean, the, the advantage to doing it this way is that I can run it on either or. So if I want it to be electric, I can just turn off the gas motor and run in full electric. Okay. If I want it to be, um, you know, I, ideally it's going to be a track car eventually. So I can run, uh, you know, lapping days, uh, track days with both motors for full power. Um, and I'm going to be looking at around 400 horsepower, which is about double what, the, what it came with factory. It's a 1997 2.5 with a five speed. So um, it'll fill some of that torque. It'll be able to pull out of corners better. You know, all wheel drive has its advantages even on track. Um, it'll have uh, more low end torque, whereas the flat six is more um, of a rev kind of engine. So it'll kind of balance each other out a little bit in that way. So it'll it'll pull harder from a stop or from a, a low-speed corner, um, and it'll be hopefully a little bit faster and have some more power. So the idea is that they really won't know each other are there. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, the motor will be like, oh, we're going downhill, kind of, you know, gravity is is helping me go fast Uh
2: and and like what is the biggest challenge of putting something like this together you know how much information does the controller for the electric motor need in order to function at maximum efficiency and and how do you balance the inputs between the front and the rear so that you're not spinning one wheel spinning one set of wheels while the other one's underpowered
1: i will let you know when it's done (laughs) (laughs) um I mean a lot of it's going to be trial and error. Uh the I think that we can get away with with basically running everything independently so the the electric motor would really, you know, we can we can dial it in from say 5 miles an hour or something like that so that it's not um burning the front tires off. Um and we can amp up the power as speeds increase from there. Um, a lot of this programming stuff i'm actually working with a local guy who's helping me figure some of this stuff out because i'm not really an electronics guy um I just have a lot of really good ideas and hope that eventually one day they'll be on paper uh translated into the real world so well,
2: it's, it's a fascinating <laughs> um, project i mean
1: yeah it, it, because no one's doing it
2: you know yes, and like by right. definition that makes it awesome it's so
1: the the crazy thing the the one thing that really strikes me is that it's all of the components are already there because the Boxster from the, from the driver's seat forward is a 996. Uh, They're identical. And the 996 was sold as an all wheel drive car. So you can get the uprights and the, the front drive axles from a 996 Carrera 4. And they bolt right into a Boxster. The front suspension is all the same. The tub is basically the same. So, I just have to figure out a way to mount the motor and translate the, you know, basically I would have to cut the the leaf axle and the Porsche axle and and bind them together in the middle with you know a weld and or some kind theory. of some kind of spell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. probably a spell. Yeah. Um, but the, that would be like the preliminary, and then once I figure out the length, I can actually have a custom drive shaft cut and everything. But. For now, it's just going to be get it running and on the road and, and working. Um, but the long term, the idea is you get on track and you run with your internal combustion motor in the back uh, and the front motor in regen. So you can do two or three laps where you're regening power and, and charging your battery. And then if you want to do a blistering fast lap, once your battery's full, you kick it over to, to full power mode. And and you've got basically push to pass. Yeah, I was or, about to
2: say it's a it's a yeah. it's a push to pass system. Right? it's it's a, it's a really cool idea. I'm you know I, I'd be really curious to f- feel how the dynamics of the car are in a high speed situation with the new weight distribution and yeah. With yeah. the new power availability and how much that's going to change because the box is already such a balanced platform. Uh, yeah, it's really a great starting point for this
1: kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> part of this project has been pulling enough weight out so that it weighs around the same as it did stock, uh, once all of this stuff is in. So including batteries and motors and, and everything, uh, roll cage, all that. So, um, ideally I'd like to get it down to around, you know, 17 or 1800 pounds before I add another six, 700 pounds back in. Yeah. So, uh, that's the, that's the goal. Um, I think I'm getting close. Uh, (laughs) I pulled out the HVAC system last night and that was 45 pounds, believe it or not. So, um, but it's not going to have a windshield. It's going to be, uh, a full, uh, monoposto, uh, roadstery kind of track day car. Um, but it'll still technically be street legal. And, and the, does the monoposto, so I'm assuming that you, 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 does that give you more room for battery? Yes, that's where the batteries are going to go, is okay. where the passenger seat used to be. Um, so I'm going to put, I'm going to take the, uh, the bottom of the leaf is basically a big battery pack, but inside of that pack, there's individual cells. And those cells operate as individual batteries. So you can put them anywhere in the chassis. So I'm going to try and stack as many as I can inside the wheelbase. Uh, next to the, the driver on the right hand side. And then whatever doesn't fit there will go in the front trunk or the rear trunk um, to try and keep that balanced as, as much as I can. Very cool. Very so, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a fun project. I've been working on it for a couple of years now. I hope that one day it'll actually work. And then, you know, I've got in my brain um, the next plan is once I figure that part out. Uh, to upgrade to a 996 turbo motor in the back, cool. and to hmm. eventually upgrade the Nissan Leaf motor to a Tesla motor. So, so then it'd be just
2: be a total monster.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think I could easily get 600 horsepower out of the turbo motor, and you can easily get 400 horsepower out of the uh, Tesla motor. So, you know, thousand horsepower all-wheel drive Boxster sounds. Good to me. Well, that's what they
2: intended when it came out. When when it yeah. when it left the factory. I mean, yeah, of course, they, they were like, you know, one day someone is going to make this so much crazier. Yeah. And then yeah. they just they shook hands and and left left the factory with yeah. the keys on the seat and yeah. It's it's the it's, German engineers will not
1: be pleased with
2: me. No, but you know maybe maybe there's one renegade there who 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 will yeah. someone who, who sees the. <laughs> The glimmer of hope in the madness. I think it's, yeah. I think it's a really cool project. I mean – and people who are listening to this and say, wow, that sounds really crazily difficult and weird and hard to do. If you look at the history of hot rodding, it's really no weirder than a lot of other stuff yeah. that's – like, I mean we're talking about a a pastime where people who came back from the Second World War took fuel tanks from their old right. uh, fighters and, and bombers Put engines in them and then drove them 150 miles an hour on
1: the salt flats in Bonneville. You know,
2: this is in in no way as crazy as that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's one of the things that I love about current hot rodding in EVs is it feels very much like you know 1950s hot rodding in Southern California. Um, People are taking big motors from big electric SUVs and sedans and putting them in small sports cars and going really fast with it. You know, uh, my 912 that I have that is still a stock 88 horsepower car, um, the motor blew up a couple of years ago and I had to have it rebuilt. And for what I spent rebuilding it, I probably could have swapped in a Tesla motor and had 450 horsepower mm. like for, you know, thirteen fourteen thousand dollars $14,000 all in. But
2: <laughs> so. There's no reason I couldn't have put a Tesla motor in my Jeep for what it cost me to do the LS swap. I mean, yeah. ab- absolutely. And I would have had probably a big margin <laughs> afterwards. So it's 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 not like these are inaccessible uh, ideas or dreams. And, and you've stated yourself that you're not an electronics wizard and you're tagging in someone to help you with that. So you don't have to be an engineer to get these kind of projects done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, also,
1: uh, at this point right now, we're not really doing that much electronics. It's all cutting putting things in figuring out where they fit like i can do that kind of stuff it's when it comes to the controlling and the computery bits that's when he's gonna have to step in and give me a hand but
0: (laughs) i also have to imagine that thanks to uh utopia 2099 you're going to meet some people who will be able to help you uh, or advise you or have similar projects in mind um and i think the networking there will be really positive
1: yeah i hope so i mean um yeah, for sure. We we've I've already met a guy that uh, just ran King of the Hammers in a I think it was a Rav Four Toyota Rav Four with a Nissan Leaf power. Nice. Um, so there's like already some off road electric uh, racing going on. So uh, I hope that that continues, and I hope that uh, you know people are are worried that electricity is going to kill the the hobby, but I think it's the opposite of that.
2: Really, it's just another branch of the hobby, uh, yeah. and I, I don't like the idea that uh, auto enthusiasm is a zero sum game. That's never right. really made sense to me, and right, I, right, I, right. that attitude is not going to help grow the interest that we need to keep people intrigued by cars that they're actually driving. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like in, in a world that seems increasingly pushed towards automation, or at least that's what automakers would like us to believe and marketing budgets would like us to believe. Uh, If you're driving the car yourself, it doesn't really matter how it's being motivated. It's still a passion and an interest. And to me, these interests are intertwined.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. I've always tried to, to espouse a um, inclusive uh, mentality in the, in the car world. It doesn't really matter what you're into. I, you know, I want to be friends. (laughs) <laughs> very cool um, I think that's it for this, uh,
0: this episode Ben why don't we remind our listeners where they can find our work and then we're also going to let uh, Brad talk about where people can find his work That'll sure.
1: be
2: a whole other show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you want, if you want to hear more episodes of Unnamed Automotive Podcast like this one, although they they won't be as as uh, Brad specific as this one, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, you can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. dot com. Everything is there from day one to now. I think we're like two hundred and fifteen episodes in. And you can subscribe also on your favorite podcatcher. We're everywhere: Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon. Just look up "Unnamed Automotive Podcast," and you will find us. Uh, Sammy, if you want, to, if people want to get in touch with us, how would they do that? Well,
0: it's really easy to do that. You just go to our website. There's a contact form there that you fill out, and it will land right in our inbox. Um, additionally, you can get in touch with either Ben or myself on social media. You can reach out to Ben on Instagram. He's at HuntingBenjamin. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. <laughs> additionally, you can email us the old-fashioned way. It's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com.
2: Brad, if people wanted to find out more about Radwood, Rad for Sale, and Autopia, what are
1: the best places for them to go do that? Um, Instagram, honestly. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Radwood Official on Instagram, uh, Rad for Sale on Instagram, and Autopia 2099 on Instagram. Um, there are websites, uh, Radwood.com, Radforsale.com, and Autopia 2099.com, um, that's 2099, not actually spelled out uh, like I said it. And, um, and you can find me. If you have any specific questions, you can reach out to me. I'm always available at BC Brownell on Twitter. Uh, I deleted my Facebook and, and Instagrams personally, but um, I'm still on Twitter. Hanging on. Hanging on.
2: <laughs> and, so, and
0: finally, Brad, where can we find your work, your content? You, your content, your, your stories can be found all over the internet. So why don't you yeah, plug a couple of publications? For uh, sure, yeah.
1: Um, I, uh, until recently, was running flat which is a Porsche website. I am trying to get it back off the ground, but things are a little bit funky there. So we'll see if that happens. Um, I am available every day at jalopnik.com. I run the evening shift there uh, and actually should be blogging right now. <laughs> and uh, and I have a column on evpulse.com, uh, all electric uh, stuff. You may have read some Benjamin's work there. And I am working a, uh, on some new stuff for Auto Week. So oh, very cool. Yeah, awesome. I don't know exactly when that's going to come out, but um, hopefully soon. So keep an eye out for that.
0: Very cool, well, thank you again for joining us uh it, it honestly it's like being with with automotive royalty in a way because oh, of all of the all <laughs> of the amazing projects and uh, and ways that you've kind of united uh the community the uh, the enthusiast community uh, in a really in a really positive way i'm I'm kind of like fawning over it right now
1: i I appreciate that um, find some better heroes <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i mean I'm trying to, but the seance, the seances, like I told you, and the
1: restraining (laughs) orders—you would not believe the pile. (laughs) Oh no! I honestly, I'm I'm honored to be on the show. Um, you know, uh, congratulations on over 200 episodes, and I hope you keep going for another, you know, 2,000.
2: Well, we're nothing if not relentless. That on us. (laughs) Uh,
1: Thanks again. Yeah. All right. Thank you.